Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we talk sketch comedy with Keegan-Michael Key and L. Key. Keegan starred alongside Jordan Peele as the comedy duo Key and Peele, and in series and films, including Schmigadoon, Reboot, and Wonka. He's brought characters to life with voice work in The Lion King and Toy Story 4, among others. L. Key is known for her film, TV, and commercial writing, producing, and directing. She's worked with Keegan on Brain Games and won a Webby for her podcast version of today's topic, The History of Sketch Comedy. I want to know absolutely everything that's happened up to now. Well, let's see. First, the Earth cooled, and then the dinosaurs came. What do you want to know about sketch comedy? Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In their new book, The History of Sketch Comedy, Keegan-Michael Key and L. Key take us on a hilarious and also personal journey to help us understand how we got to the sketch comedy we know and love today. From the uh, fart jokes of the Sumerians, <laughs> Abbott and Costello's Who's On First, to SNL and the incisive sketches of Key and Peele, the keys remind us of the absurdity, the artistry, and the enduring power of sketch comedy. They also break down how it's done. So, listeners, what comedy sketches do you still talk about or share months, years, even decades after seeing them? L. Key, Keegan-Michael Key, welcome to Forum. Hi, Mina. Hi, thank you for having us. So great to have you both on. I mentioned this book is a sketch comedy history, a how-to, also kind of a memoir of Keegan's life. Am I right, Elle, that you you kind of pushed for that, for him to add some personal touches to it? Uh, Yeah, I thought thought that because Keegan's life has so many interesting touchstones that have to do with with sketch or comedy in some capacity— I thought it'd be really fun if Keegan was kind of the narrator or the tour guide through sketch. So we basically um, came up with this plan to use Keegan's life as as kind of the string you hang the comedic lights on, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, totally. I love actually one of the personal moments is that you, Keegan, can pinpoint the moment when your sketch comedy path began. It's not like, oh, I kind of remember. <laughs> It's like, no, there was a very specific moment when it all started for you. Can you tell us about it? Sure. Yeah, it was um, it was a lot about my, hearing my father laugh at a Saturday Night Live sketch when I was, oh gosh, I guess I might have been 13, 14 years old. 
And my father was a kind of a stoic guy. He was a big, tall, stoic man. And um, to hear him laugh, he had actually a very kind of high-pitched chuckle for a laugh when he did laugh. But it was few and far between to hear those laughs. And so I remember watching this sketch with my dad and him just cracking up. And, and I thought to myself, what is that power that someone has? And that particular someone in, that, in, in this case was Eddie Murphy. Yeah, uh, during this, yeah. I mean, which yeah, I think we can all uh, agree is a person who's made many a many a person laugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, and that was the moment. That was the moment. Hearing my dad laugh really for the first time that outrageously, and I thought to myself, I want to have something to do with this. What whatever this thing is that's happening right now. So so describe the sketch and then maybe you both can break it down a little for us in terms of what are the elements of it that that made it so good mhm well the sketch so so what the sketch was was um an audi- it was an audition sketch and what was happening is that there were people holding an audition for Stevie Wonder impersonators and Stevie Wonder happened to be the musical guest on the show that evening so Stevie Wonder was in the sketch and he in was character. in character. Stevie, Stevie Wonder was in the sketch in character. As, a, as an actor auditioning. Yes, to be a Stevie Wonder impersonator. Stevie <laughs> Wonder was, was, in, was acting as an actor to be a Stevie Wonder impersonator. And it was really very funny. Because he was bad. He was a really, <laughs> really bad Stevie Wonder impersonator. He, he could not do an impression of Stevie Wonder. And he had this really high-pitched kind of Jerry Lewis talking voice. And he was like, how is that? Like, it had nothing to do with anything Stevie Wonder. Yeah, he was playing, and he was, wasn't he playing, he's playing like a little keyboard and he's playing it horribly and he's singing very superstitious and he's like, very superstitious, <laughs> writing on the wall. And it was, it was, and, and it was fantastic. It was horrible. And then Eddie Murphy appears and says, hey man, hey, he's, man. The, produ- he's, he's the, the producer, producer who's, who's, who's auditioning auditioning the Stevie Wonder impersonators. And he goes <laughs> to Stevie Wonder, he goes, man, that, man, that, that, that sucked, man, that was terrible. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, he goes, yes, that's not anything, doesn't sound anything like Stevie Wonder. Let me show you what, what Stevie Wonder sounds like. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out some sunglasses and he puts them on. And right at that moment, you realize, oh my gosh, Stevie Wonder is, or, or I mean, Eddie Murphy is about to do a Stevie Wonder impersonation in front of Stevie Wonder. And it's just, it's absolutely sublime. It, it... Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess one of the things that I thought about when I was reading that description and also thinking about what you've said, Keegan, about a good sketch having a, hey, you can't do that moment. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, does that qualify as like when he's taking out the glasses and like being Stevie Wonder in front of Stevie Wonder as like a moment like that? So, so Gigan likes this phrase, this, you know, this K, you can't do that when something in comedy is so ridiculous and so silly for people who are listening. And, but he, he also said the other day, it's like, it can be a, Hey, you can't do that. Something like that. You get up, you're like, these these guys are crazy, but how 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 can you how brave are they that they're gonna try to get away with this? That they're gonna go there. And then yeah, so then he said the other day he goes he goes I can't believe they went there. It could have been the name of the chapter, <laughs> like the name of the subheading could have been I can't believe they went there. And so 
that in that moment, I, I remember that sketch as well. I, you go, I can't believe that Eddie Murphy is going there, but oh no, oh no, he's going. And then in Eddie Murphy shows Stevie Wonder how to move his head, how to move his neck back and forth, how to sway, how to, <laughs> how to do a Stevie Wonder impression. It's oh. pretty fantastic. Yeah. And so does it need an element like that to be good, Elle? Like you write, you direct, you produce these kinds of sketches. Is that kind of essential? Um, well, as so in the book, we talk about the process and we talk about what goes into a sketch as well. And so there are just certainly different kinds of sketches. There's all different ways you could do sketches, but a beginning, middle and an end and um, some heightening is what we call it. So heightening is like where you start out at, at one place where it's kind of life as you know it. This is what's happening. This is where this couple is. Hey, this is an audition. This is where we are. This is the world that we're in. And then you add to it and you say, oh, you know what? It's not just an audition. It's an audition for Stevie Wonder impersonators. And so we all go, oh, okay. That seems to fit in the world of reality. You could have an audition for Stevie. But then when Stevie Wonder walks in, you call that heightening. You go, mm. okay, now we just went from life as you know it to this is now getting absurd. This is, this is really getting silly. So that heightens to that. And then when Eddie Murphy pulls out the sunglasses, that's a, that's even a greater heighten. So a lot of times if Keegan and I are writing something together, we try to figure out where it heightens. And and you could do something, you can reverse engineer it in a way, say, you know what, I really want this scene to end where Eddie Murphy's doing an impression of Stevie Wonder in front of Stevie Wonder. How do we do Eddie Murphy doing his Stevie Wonder impression? And then maybe they work backwards. I don't know who wrote the sketch, but it's totally possible they went, boy, wouldn't it be great to see this? And then they said, okay, so let's create an environment to get to that goal. So Keegan, you say that you and Jordan Peele, when you were working together, wanted to create not just like that, that heightening, maybe that that crazy, you can't do that moment, but that you literally wanted to make it so that people would get up and walk out of the room. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that, that, that <laughs> What, yeah, what we wanted that. was for people. What we wanted was for people to have several. You can't do. Hey, you can't do that. Moments in a row, to the point where they were just like, "These two guys are out of their minds. I can't even. I don't even. I can't even take this anymore. This is this is too much." And and get up and walk out of the room. Right. Exactly. So it was actually what we wanted. It was there to be cascades of "Hey, you can't do that." Moments. And did you? I mean, so listening to to you describe that and just thinking about how comedy I think is constantly like trying to walk a fine line. Like how did you determine where the line was, how far you were going, your risks in terms of making people walk out of the room because they thought you were completely insane or because something you did was just over the line? Well, I think depending on the, the type of line you're talking about, there's, there's a silliness line and then there's a social social political line and i think with the social political line what was a, a a a big aspect that we worked on a lot of the time was if we can find the right angle into a scene you can make anything funny if you're willing to put in the work if you're willing to put in the work to figure out uh, I want to approach the scene this way. Oh, well, that might be a l little offensive. Let's approach the scene this way. Oh, that might be a little b, little x y z. Let's approach the scene this way. So then you just find you just keep. That was sometimes the hardest work on a sketch was 
how do you approach the subject matter? And yeah, one, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Because because you can make anything funny. You can make it. it we're, we're, we were firm believers and I believe Ellen and I are firm believers that you can make anything funny and you can make anything uplifting as well if you really work hard enough at it. So I, I one of the things that I think is so awesome is that you were talking about this also in the context historically of like court jesters and how court jesters really the stakes were very high if they messed up on this yes right <laughs> yeah pretty high what, what, what did we say in the book i think we say something about um yeah instead of getting a severance package if you get fired you get a severed head right exactly yeah we're talking about the history of sketch comedy with Keegan-Michael Key and Al Key and also the elements of a good sketch. And we want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What is one sketch that makes you laugh when you remember it, think about it, share it, talk about it? It could be one from years ago. Have you ever done sketch comedy? What would you like to ask the Keys about the medium or just ask or tell them in general. I'm sure your fans, you can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786. Welcome back from the break. Hearing a clip of Keegan-Michael Key playing Luther at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Luther, of course, being President Obama's anger translator. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. In our fast-changing world, traditions like the White House Correspondents' Dinner are important. I mean, really? What is this dinner? And why am I required to come to it? Jeb Bush, do you really want to do this? Because despite our differences, we count on the press to shed light on the most important issues of the day. And we can count on 
Fox News to terrify old white people with some nonsense. That's my guest, Keegan-Michael Key, playing Luther, President Obama's anger translator, alongside the real Obama at the 2015 White House Correspondents' Dinner. We're talking sketch comedy with the Keys, L. Key and Keegan-Michael Key, who've just written a book called The History of Sketch Comedy, A Journey Through the Art and Craft of Humor. And you, our listeners, can join the conversation. Tell us the sketches that you love, your questions for the Keys. You can call us at 866-733-6786. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. Our social channels are at kqed forum and you can always email us forum at kqed.org andy writes my favorite comedy sketch chris farley living in a van down by the river (laughs) 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 do you know what he's referring to (laughs) yeah he's referring to matt foley there was a character that chris um farley played on snl named matt foley who was a motivational speaker who lived in a van down by the river and um uh, yeah, that was a, it's a, that was an amazing it's like a scare sketch. tactic to scare teenagers who aren't behaving is that if you're not going to do your homework or listen to your parents, you're going to be ended up living by in a van <laughs> down by the river. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's a great sketch. Chris Farley, Chris Farley. Kids. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I want to ask you actually about playing Luther alongside Obama, because you typically wouldn't. You would have to play it, you know, with people being Obama, for example. So what what was that like for you? It was it was absolutely surreal. I remember I was I was so obsessed with practicing it. And I remember um, the rehearsal that I had um, with the president beforehand because he came he came into the room and there was a podium set up in the in the room. It was it was called the uh, the um, the map room. It was apparently FDR's favorite room. It was a room f- filled with maps from like World War II. And he just came into the room and he's like, uh, there he is. There's Key. There's my man. How you doing? And uh, <laughs> he just came over and gave me a hug. And I was oh like, as soon as he came over and gave me a hug, I was just like, he's hugging me. I want everyone to understand that he is hugging me. He is <laughs> hugging me, Secret Service. I, 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 am, I am now going to complete the embrace but I want to go on record as saying that he came in and hugged me first. So um, before anybody gets 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 out of hand. But that but the, the, I remember rehearsing both parts. I wanted to make sure I had it down pat. So mm. I learned all of his lines and memorized his lines and memorized my lines. But wow. I didn't need to. Well, I was just concerned. You know, he's got a, he's got a, he had he had a lot on his mind. You know, he's the leader of the free world, so he had a lot going. <laughs> He had a lot going on. But just in case he went up, it would be really helpful for me to know his lines, too. But he did not need my help. He was absolutely fantastic. So where and, do you, um, yeah, where, where did you get the idea? Where do you get the idea for your characters generally? My characters, I usually get the idea from people in my life. So usually I will make a character be a character will be like an amalgam of two or three people from my past or somebody that I met or somebody I saw on the train. And, and what I'll do is I'll take two or three people like a pastiche and push and, and, and or a mosaic and mix them together to make a character. And a lot of your early characters, am I right? Came from your time growing up in Detroit. That's correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. So whether it was, um, you know, the, the wino that was sitting outside on the tree stump or uh, there was a tree stump outside of our house and there was a, a wino. You did have a, a what, a, a coach that was an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, aggressive coach. No, I yes. had a few coaches. 
Yes, we, we had that coach. Yes, that, that coach is a perfect example of, of those that amalgam of like three or four coaches from high school mixed together makes Coach Hines. It's like a recipe. You A dash of McDougal, a little bit of Reeser, a little bit of Tompkins, a little bit of Coach K, and I mixed them all together, and that's how we got. That's how we got. Uh, Wait, did you just name the real people? I just named the real people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it. Well, Andrew writes on Discord, to me, the most memorable sketches are all John Cleese sketches. Parrot sketch, argument, clinic, ministry of silly walks. What makes mm-hmm. these other Monty Pythons so great? Okay, so Ellen Keegan, weigh in on Monty Python. Why was Monty Python just so, I don't know, trailblazing or or just kind of really push things in a direction that I think a lot of people hadn't ever really seen it go? I- Lots of bravery. I think lots of bravery. Um, the the people that stand out in in comedy history are certainly the people that say, "Hey, you know what? I can I can do it the way everyone else is doing it." But what if I didn't? What if I went in a different direction? What if I, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things that there are just some people you know that follow rules, and there are some people that go, "Wait a second, I didn't make this rule." Whose rule was that? Why does comedy have to start or begin or end this way? What the argument clinic, I love I love that they mentioned the argument clinic. Uh, it's one of the sketches that we talk about in the book. It's so fantastic. And if you don't know what the argument clinic is, is basically is is Michael Palin shows up at a desk. And it's like what I said earlier about life as you know it. So this is kind of the world. The world is. He shows up in an office and there's a, a lovely woman behind a desk and he says, uh, yes, I'm here for an argument. And she's like, oh, would you like would you like one argument? Would you like a pack of five? Or she makes some kind of offer of what what the argument what the argument specials are that day. And she sends him to a room down the hall and he opens the door to the room and John Cleese is sitting in the room and um, and he says, uh, he says, can I come in? And John Cleese says, I told you already. He goes, no, you didn't. He goes, yes, I did. He goes, no, you didn't. And before he's even in the room, the argument is afoot. It's so, and then they realize, he realizes, and then John Cleese stops. He goes, is this, is this one argument or is, is this the five minute, is this the five minute argument or the, and then, and you could see the glee on Michael Palin's face. He goes, oh, we're in it. This is the argument. And, and it's, it's just so absurd and so silly. And it follows that heightening that, that we were mentioning earlier that it's just you kind of start as life as you know and you go okay what would be a really silly reason to go to an office and then how do we get him to get into an argument before he even starts to speak it's so great well what also makes it so great is that it's mentioned in the book yes and then um it's also performed in your podcast of the same name the history of sketch comedy where you keegan actually act out this scene and I was just in hysterics like listening to you do it and oh I was, really I what and I was wondering like what was that like for you to be acting out every character every line of these scenes um for the podcast version of this book it was it was it was really fun it was so much fun and um you kind of uh I, there's something there's something really I, how shall I say it? Liberating about being able to actually do um, both voices or all three voices or whatever the, ha- the the case may be, given the sketch. And there's something a little, a little, um, how shall I say, 
you know, like multiple personality about it where, where you have to jump back and forth and back and forth and back and, then and forth. And then to do commentary on it in the middle of the sketch. Yes. Um, yeah, it was really funny. Because I, I pitched When I pitched the idea to Audible, I said we wouldn't need any to license any clips. And I was like, how's, uh, I was like, how's that? We're not going to license any clips. What are you talking about? Are we going to use? Like, we don't, we don't need, we don't need any clips. We have Keegan and Keegan is going to perform every, every, and I think Keegan's response was, uh, what's that now? <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? Wait, L, what? What? Did, we didn't talk about this. And I was like, no, you got this. You got this, Keegan. You could do all of it. And so he did every single voice from every sketch. He did Nichols and May. He did uh, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. Everyone from Monty Python. Sure. He can he can do a fantastic chair. Um, so he he did all of it. But he did he did in a way I I I joke he he got me back because when I was putting the book together he told the publishers that I should do drawings for the book, and I was like wait what what's that now. <laughs> And I was like, is this, did, is this revenge? So I, I did, there's lots of little pencil drawings and sketches in the book that I did. And I was well, like, I, okay, I made, I made Keegan do all the voices. I could do the sketches. That's awesome. I'd love for you to just say a little more, Elle, about um, how you pitched the book and podcast idea, because I think it's a lovely synopsis of what this is. Oh, uh, thanks. So I, um, I pitched the idea to Keegan, I don't know, maybe eight years ago to do a book. In the, the world of write what you know. And I was like, you you know more about sketch comedy than just about anyone. I certainly know en enough, and I've had some history and dabbled in sketch along the way. But listening to Keegan talking about his love and, I guess, we say his, his geekdom or his comedic nerdness of how, how sketches are put together and how jokes are put together and what makes things work. I said, this would be really fun to share with other people. And wouldn't it be great to get this information out there's so many people who would benefit from hearing these things and and be excited to hear about how this process works or where these things came from and and it took about 8 years i think for me to fully convince him but along the way i did um collect stories and i collected ideas and i collected anecdotes and he would talk about being in a renaissance festival for example and i was like oh let's talk about that and I'm be writing notes and taking notes, and he's like, "Wait, are you are you working on the book right now?" And I was like, "No, just ignore me. Just keep telling your story. Don't pay attention. Don't look. Don't look over here. You're fine." And and I just by the time I pitched the podcast or I pitched the book um, uh, three years ago when COVID started, I said, "You know, this might be a good time to write a book and share some joy with the world. Maybe make some people laugh." Uh, our team suggested to do a podcast first, and and then. I pivoted to the podcast, but it was a really great experience because the podcast allowed me to kind of put all of these ideas together and sort through everything, try to figure out a format. And it just kind of put something together where I wanted it to go quickly. We do talk in the, little, in the book a little bit about what I, I, I dub short attention span theater is that on the internet and online right now, so many memes and jokes, everything is so fast. Yeah. People don't have time. They want to watch something quick. They want to watch something that gets to the point and funny. And I thought, well, this, this is not a short book, but it certainly does. I tried to break it up, yes. certainly in the book, even more than the podcast, mm -hmm. so that you go from an interview to a Keegan story, to an anecdote, to a script, to something that um, some comedic great 
some advice or piece of information so that you could put it down and pick it up. It's not something you have to sit and read through. And I wanted to make sure that there were no, that you didn't go for two pages where you, you just saw words and words and words. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and I was really lucky. Uh, Andrew Eisenman, who, uh, was doing nonfiction at Audible was, I guess, our my my boss at Audible for the time being to to put the podcast together, and he was so supportive. Um, I actually dedicated the book to him. Aww. He he was so supportive, and he really gave me the platform and said, "L, I've never, I don't have any nonfiction series on Audible that are set up this way, and I'm loving this. And you just make your own path." Yeah. And he really supported me in that. So that's really where the path of the book came out of was from that, that process. Yeah. Well, let me go to some calls that we've got coming in. Michael in Windsor is on the line. Hi, Michael. Join us. Hi. How are you? Great. Good. How are you, are you doing? doing? <laughs> Great. Thanks for this conversation today. Um, I think about something that uh, sketch-wise it always sticks in my head and the sheer fact of putting a substitute teacher in a classroom filled with disaffected kids, and the whole roll call issue that's going on was just, to my mind, still incredibly hilarious, and um, I just have a really great memory of that all the time. Aww. Oh, that's great. You must great. hear Thank that, you. Keegan. Yeah, that's such a famous... I... Is your name Aaron by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Never gets old. Never, ever gets old. Thank you for that. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. I was kidding. Is his name Aaron? No, no, no. It's Michael. No, 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 no. <laughs> and let me thank Michael for the call. <laughs> his name's Michael. Okay, good. Mikael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go next to Judy in Albany. Hi, Judy, you're on. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I, I A comedy sketch that I absolutely adore, but which is it, it, transgressive, but just pulled back from the edge that I love, was Das Negros. And um, uh, I've watched it over and over again. I've always been a little bit puzzled by the cat toy stuff at the very end. Oh, the cat toy stuff. Yes. I think um, um, uh, the fact that he, us turning into cats is kind of just a strange little bit of heightening that we did that I think just out of silliness and fun. um, Because I know when, when, when Ty Burrell pulls out the cat toy earlier in the sketch, and and jiggles it around to see if we'll, if we'll and we don't react to it. It's just us using all of our willpower to not react. React, and then when we do react, it's like we actually turn into cats, which is kind of a key and peel. Which is kind of a key and peel. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Trademark. If you if you if people don't know the the sketch, basically Keegan and Jordan are are trying to hide out. And Ty Burrell plays a Nazi who's who's looking looking for black people. And Keegan and Jordan are actually kind of have you're in white, We're in white face. They're in white face and are trying to hide that they're black. And and the heightening is Ty Burrell keeps giving them tests that basically that that the what is it, the Negro head comes in different sizes. It only comes in half sizes. Does he measures their heads? Yeah. It's eugenics. It's he's using eugenics, and it, and and uh, and he says, and he says, um, with, uh, you know, I am looking for Negroes here, and the, of course, I need to measure your head because we know, of course, 
that the Negro head only comes in half sizes, oh, which is, <laughs> oh, is just, you know, which is obviously <laughs> ridiculous. I, I, well, and, and that is also what makes the work so special, right? I mean, I think the reason that it's so memorable, the work that you did with Jordan Peele, is because I think the way you put it was it fused, you were able to fuse comedy with who you were culturally and racially in the world. And, and I mean, at the time that you were doing it, it was still a world that needed a lot of new voices, a lot more diversity, right? I mean, that mm-hmm, wasn't mm-hmm. normal or common, right? No, it was certainly not common to have two, two blurds <laughs> do, uh, do a, a, a comedy show. A blurred, of course, is a black nerd <laughs> for anybody who in the audience who doesn't know. Um, but yeah, it, 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 was, it, was, it was an extremely specific um, point of view that we had. And I think that um, when um, when Judy was just talking about the cats, there's there's something there's almost in in quite a lot of our sketches there's a, there's always a science fiction bent to them in a way. There's always some strange weird thing that happens in the sketch that you could attribute to science fiction, and that's the nerdy part. And we were we were we were very glad that Comedy Central was willing to give us a chance to kind of make comedy that came from our perspective. Well, this listener writes, my wife and I love Keegan, Michael Key, and Jordan Peele's Gremlins 2 sketch. Such a great comedy angle to do it from the writer's room. And Booney writes, my husband and I are huge fans. It would be tough to pick a favorite sketch, but one that I love is the sketch where teachers are being drafted like football players. Oh, that's a a good sketch, yeah. Yeah, what a great social commentary. And, And do you want to talk a little bit about I mean, I guess you did when you said, like, you can make anything funny, right? But, it, but, but I mean, straddling that line of social commentary and funny ain't easy. And, and I think what these listeners are reflecting here is just how much they appreciate how well you have done and continue to do that. We're talking with Keegan-Michael Key and L. Key. They've written a book all about sketch comedy. It's called The History of Sketch Comedy, A Journey Through the Art and Craft of Humor. And uh, you, our listeners, are joining our conversation with the Keys with your questions and comments, and they will be with us after the break. So stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Bring out your dead! Here's one! Ninepence. I'm not dead! What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead! Here. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not! He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better! No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. 
It's against regulations. I don't want to go with the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. That, of course, is <laughs> Monty Python. Uh, we are talking sketch comedy with Keegan-Michael Key and Elke, collaborators on the book, The History of Sketch Comedy. And of course, they talk quite a bit about Monty Python. You, our listeners, are also sharing your favorite sketches. Paul writes, one great sketch is where big stars read lines for the very first Star Wars movie. So funny. What is a Wookiee? Fake Burt Reynolds must be seen if you haven't had the pleasure. So good. Michael tweets, my favorite sketches are Eddie Murphy's, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood sketches, Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd's Two Wild and Crazy Guys, and Nichols and May's Telephone Operator. I don't know if you want to say anything about that Monty Python sketch or... Um, I, I mean, I, it is one of the ones that we use in, in, in the book. I think it's, um, it's, it's, um, uh, as Elle had mentioned before, there's that sense of like, you, you understand the beginning of the sketch as something that you can recognize, but it, it's, it, what I like is that sometimes like with Key and Peel, we would start sketches at a one. So it's in an office or it's in a kitchen. And I love that Monty Python often started their sketches at like a 27 or a 30. You, you know what I mean? So that there would always be something like um, the, the, the plague. You, you know, I love the fact that you guys just wheelbarrowing down the street with, a, with, with a wheelbarrow full of dead bodies as if he's the garbage man. And that it, so it already starts with a really high concept before you even get into the sketch. Yeah. And yet it's not just weird. It's funny. It's some sometimes sketches do that and they're, they're just weird for weirdness sake. But Monty Python, for some reason, there's always awfully funny, even though it was even though they would start in a, in a, in a weirder place. I'm, I'm glad that I, I love that they mentioned Monty Python, but they also mentioned Nichols and May. Yeah. And I don't think Nichols and May gets mm -hmm. enough attention. I think there's so many, so many incredible sketches and this is Elaine May and, and Mike Nichols, who were a, a couple and a comedy team, um, which someone earlier today was talking about that there aren't that many comedy teams that are couples, that that, that was a thing for a while. That but was that, a thing for a while, yeah. That they, so they had their humor, a lot of their humor is, is listening to their voices without seeing them perform. So was it albums? There were Nichols and May albums. Mm -hmm. So you could just sit down and listen to an album of the two of them going back and forth. And, and it's the same thing. They start in a simple place, like in a, in a room in a hospital, which is one of the sketches we talk about. And um, it's just a, a woman who's in a hospital room or who's had some kind of surgery or something has happened. And the doctor comes in and he's like, uh, can you hear me? Um, uh, Mrs. Lotke, can you hear me? Yeah, Mrs. Lotke. Uh huh. Yes, I, um, it's the doctor here. I'm here. I'm here to examine you. Um, yeah. And she's like, she says something like, "Her IV came out," and he starts asking her questions and how she's doing. And then he asks if she's seen one of the nurses, and she's like, um, "Nurse, nurse Rudetsky." And she's like, uh, "I don't know. I, I maybe told her about my IV." And he keeps asking questions about the nurse, and what he's really trying to find out is it seems that they had a date the night before and he wants to know if this poor woman in bed who's moaning and in pain and trying to get her IV and if she has any insight into whether the nurse was happy about the date the night before. 
And it's so ludicrous and so silly. And the moment that you realize that the only reason why the doctor came in there is to find out if she knows about what, if the nurse said anything about the date. Did she, did she say anything? Did she, did she? Oh, she was tired. Was she tired? Was she tired? Did she say anything? (laughs) And it's so, but it's so fun when you, when you, um, when you problem solve and, and you figure it out, it's like solving the puzzle and yeah. and that's so much fun. The same way in in Keegan's sketch and the substitute teacher and Keegan Peel, when you realize, oh wait a second, oh he's going to call another name, and it's going to be wrong too. I want to try to guess what the game is. I want to try to guess what name he's saying. So when he says D nice, you go, oh I get it, I get it, and you want to get it before the 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 kid in the room speaks up. Yeah. So that that game, Nichols and May does a great job of giving you giving the audience a chance to enjoy figuring out what the game is. That's a great description. Um, let me go to caller Francesco in San Rafael. Hi, Francesco. Thanks for waiting. Hey. Uh, so I am a massive fan of your work, um, and uh, I'd say actually my favorite. Uh, Python scene from uh, Holy Grail is the witch trial, but um, uh, I, I'd also like to bring up the Marx Brothers, like uh, yeah. the the racing forms sketch in uh, the Day at the Races is just brilliant. Um, but uh, the thing I was uh, wondering is. And I'm not sure if this really quite falls into sketch because, I mean, you know, it's a film, but of course everything is like, you know, kind of series of vignettes, etc. Do you have a take on what makes the humor in Ghostbusters work? Hmm. What makes the humor in Ghostbusters work? I th- interesting. I think a lot of um, a lot of the humor that we get in Ghostbusters is coming from the fact that once again, we're taking uh, p- people's regular lives and disrupting them with something. So if, if Ghostbusters starts at a one, which is just regular New Yorkers living their lives, it, it goes to 126 pretty fast <laughs> once they start to discover ghosts. And I think that the reason that, um, if I can pinpoint somebody, the reason that Bill Murray is so funny in that film is because he's, uh, he, he kind of deals with everything with this nonchalance. Where you know where everything everything that occurs. I mean, there's there's supernatural occurrences all the time, and he's and Bill Murray's character, you know, is kind of like, huh? Well, what do you know? You know, <laughs> like when he sees Sigourney Weaver floating in the air, you know, it's just like, oh, that's wacky, you know. But he never he never gets scared like the other guys do, like Harold Ramis and 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 Dan Aykroyd does. He 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 kind of takes everything in stride, and that juxtaposition of how a person would react to a ghost how most people would react to a ghost and how he reacts to a ghost i think is where we find the humor yeah so where do you think sketch comedy is is going i mean earlier l you mentioned that our attention spans are much shorter now and and it's true like you know we do sit through films, but I don't know that I sit through like an entire thing of SNL or, you know, like we do seem to be digesting it more frequently in short videos and clips. And, and is that, you know, how has that affected sketch comedy? And, and is that here to stay, essentially? 
don't know if I don't know if it's here to stay, but it, it is true that we do that that sketch comedy has become more modular and more um, uh, kind of fractured. And the reason I say that is because most sketch comedy shows from my era, um, Key and Peel and Pryor, are shows that had some kind of linkage in them. So a show like Mr. Show with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross or Upright Citizens Brigade, those shows all had, they, they, they were meant to be watched at, at, in, in order, in one sitting in order. The, this, uh, in a very similar way that an album, an album is put together, you know, people don't really listen to albums anymore. They listen to singles. And I think that that, when you think of that musically, that's kind of what's happening to sketch like comedy. Yeah, yeah, an episode would be a journey. So, so a lot of Key and Peele had interstitials and things where there was a little bit of a theme or a journey to them. And certainly, like you said, Mr. Show would do that. So people, there's so many brilliant sketches. And in, in some way, they're, they're taken out of context. And thank God they're brilliant. So they stand alone. They work as standalone sketches. I mean, even in the airplane bit that you played, there are so many movies that you could just take a piece of a movie without watching the whole movie and know that scene or know that bit. But it, I do I do think people are going to get back around to saying, hey, you know what? If you watch, I love all of these little clips I've ever seen from the movie Airplane. But if you sit down and you watch the whole movie from beginning, middle, end, it's going to even be better. Or if you sit down and you watch episodes of, of different shows that that are made to be watched from beginning to end. I think The Weeknd has an album out right now. And he has really, really popular songs from that album that that people know and are downloading. But if you listen to the whole album, there's a journey and a and a DJ, and there's a story that he takes you on. And it was meant to be listened to from beginning to end. And in terms of who is doing the sketch comedy today, Keegan, you pointed out there are more opportunities for Black performers and other performers of color, LGBTQ+. How is that changing the content? Well, it, it comes from a different perspective, doesn't it? That That's the biggest thing, is that you're, we're, we're not just seeing sketches from the perspective of, of heterosexual white males. And so that is what, that is what changes the, the, the content. Um, um, I, we speak about in the book, we give a couple of examples of sketches that would never be written by a white man because the, the white man doesn't have the perspective of the sketch. And so then we get to enjoy... Uh, humor in a different way because different people are writing it. Like the wedding one where <laughs> dude won't say I do. Yeah, we won't say I do, right. Or or the other one where the guy is where the where the where the woman is a spy. The fact that she's a black woman makes her the most makes her the ultimate spy because no one pays attention to black women. <laughs> is kind of the is kind of the theme. Because she's a large black she's a large African American woman. So then you go, oh, that's the person who gets overlooked the most in the world. Wouldn't she make a perfect spy? Yeah, it's, so it's, good. it's incredible. It's brilliant. I just think that's absolutely brilliant. Well, lots of others that our listeners are mentioning. Um, Scott writes, one of the sketches that I love was not planned out. It's Keegan's appearance on Hot Ones, eating nuclear hot wings. That type of gastronomic pain peels away <laughs> skin cells and pretentiousness i'd like to think i'd like to think that your honest comedic geniuses were on full display during that belly busting pain <laughs> oh that's sweet that's that's a fun one that that was something else yeah the, no acting required in those i'll tell you that much that was whoo 
And another Scott writes, I love that sketches were created to push the edge of acceptability. What does it say to you when people bounce early from watching the scene in full and those who leave to prude? If I stay and laugh, does that make me insensitive? Uh, and then Rick writes, I think who's on first is an example of a sketch that lasted too long. It was very funny at first and should have ended sooner. Whereas Lisa writes, it doesn't get better than Abbott and Costello's who's on first. We're looking at the history of sketch comedy with Keegan-Michael Key and L. Key, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Jerome in San Francisco. Jerome, you're on. Hey, good morning. Uh, Not really sketch comedy, I guess, but two films I wanted to get uh, their opinion on. One was Johnny Dangerously. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Johnny Dangerously with Michael Keaton a long time ago. Kind of funny. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Michael Keaton and Joe Piscopo. Yeah. Tropic Thunder. I love yes. the Arab Tropic guy that Thunder. doesn't cuss, but he cusses like a, I don't know what, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Tropic Thunder. I don't know if uh, you got an opinion on that one. <laughs> well, Tropic Thunder, God, Johnny Dangerously. I haven't seen Johnny Dangerously in a long time. Um, but Tropic Thunder, I think, uh, I personally think, I, mean, L, I don't want to speak for L, but I, is, is a brilliant film. An absolutely brilliant film. And it, 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 um, it, it, it couldn't be made today. I don't think it could be made today. <laughs> but talk about pushing the envelope. I really feel like Ben Stiller found a great way to write a really great satire when he did Tropic Thunder of the Hollywood system and the and Hollywood star power and um, how people would react all within the context of this kind of fish out of water with the guys. It, it, it's a fish out of water, but the fish don't know they're out of water, which is really, really, really fun. It, um, that movie, that movie is, I really think is quite brilliant as a, as a comedic satire. And it's funny. There are places in the movie where you just really, really, really laugh, especially Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is great in that movie. So after knowing, studying, really digging into, you know, and then of course, learning and perfecting through your, through your work, um, what makes a really good sketch, has it like affected what you find funny you say at one point Keegan I think in the book that it's hard to make you laugh and that L was actually one of the few people who could like do Mm -hmm. you is it harder to find things funny when you when you know how it should be done and all those elements tactics strategies tools of a sketch yeah sometimes it is I think what happens Mina is that you you start to um admire things and appreciate things as opposed to outright laughing at things. And I know that stand-up comedians do the same thing, where uh, if you tell, tell a joke or you say something funny in a moment, a stand-up comedian will go, ah, mm, that was good. That was good. That was funny. Yeah. What you just did right there, that was funny. And they, but they don't laugh. But they don't laugh. You know what I mean? and, and I think that um, it's the same thing with sketches. That when, because you almost, you almost snap immediately into analysis. Because part of the joy, part of the pleasure is the analysis. Yeah. Do you find the same thing happens for you, Al? Um, I, well, especially with Keegan, I, I kind of take it as a challenge that if, if I can get Keegan to really uh, lose, lose himself and laugh at something, then, then I know that that works. And I'm like, oh, I'm writing that one down. We're going to save that one for later. But but it's fun. We are we are surrounded by a lot of people who are very very talented and and uh, comedic and comedians, and and it's almost like 
it's almost like they're not allowed to laugh at stuff. I think there's so many people who want to make them laugh or want to tell jokes. Just like I'm sure people want to play basketball against good basketball players. Like you, you want to make a comedian laugh. Yeah. And I, I don't recommend trying. <laughs> it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do. But if you, but if you, you got something, you got some good material, you got something, you, you break them down. It's, it's almost worth the, the risk. It's worth the risk. Especially you hear Keegan. By the way, I, I do think Keegan Keegan has the greatest laugh of, of anyone. So I'm very, very lucky that I married someone who oh. I can make laugh and then he has a he has a great laugh to boot. Well, the Sistner writes, Peter Sellers does your dog bite is still my favorite sketch. Ryan writes, my dad loved In Living Color. When I was a kid, my mom wasn't a fan, so of course I loved it. It was so fresh and rebellious. Fire Marshal Bill, the head detective, and Wanda, the ma- massage therapist chasing Tommy Davidson were outrageous. Stephanie writes, Keegan is a national treasure. I laugh over and over at a substitute teacher and angry Obama. Unbelievable talent. So Keegan, mm-hmm. I loved that you shared that for people wanting to go into comedy today. I think it's really nice to hear that you were scared to audition for Second City. And I was just wondering, we only have a minute left, but if you wouldn't mind just sharing that story. Yeah, I just, I, 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 I just didn't, I think what happened is I was in that place where I, I didn't want to fail. And so I thought that I would, I, what I talk about in the book is kind of running away and going to school and, and instead of, instead of, uh, auditioning, cause I was just so afraid it was something that I felt I had a facility for. I felt that comedy was something that I had a facility for, and it was something that I, I was actually really passionate about and I wanted it to go well. And I was just afraid that if, if it didn't, if I auditioned and didn't make it, what was it, what was going to become of me? And, um, but I've grown a lot since then. I've grown a lot since then. And, and, um, you learn that the best thing to do is to be brave and to take the leap. Well, Keegan, Michael Key, Elke, thank you both so much for coming on today. I am so glad you started on that sketch comedy path. <laughs> both of you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but us too, I should say. Check out the book, The History of Sketch Comedy. And thank you, Caroline Smith and Jericho Reininger for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.